you waiting for, huh? What are you waiting for? There's a lot of waiting at Christmas, isn't there? Uh, if you're like me, uh, you're waiting for the cedar season in Austin to get past you, right? Uh, yeah, maybe it's the only amen I get tonight, but that's all right, I'll take it. Uh, you know, whether you're a child and you're waiting for Christmas to come so you can unwrap that present you've been staring at for a month, or whether you're a Christian like many of us are here tonight and you're waiting for Christmas to arrive so your faith can go a little deeper or, or if you're not a Christian here tonight and, and your friend or family member or, or loved one or child or parent drug you here and you're just waiting for the service to be over so you can get through the holiday in peace no matter who you are there's a lot of waiting at Christmas we're all waiting for something so what are you waiting for? Maybe some of you have some waiting ons, as in you're waiting on that check to come in, or you're waiting on that person to change, or you're waiting on those test results to come in. Maybe some of you have some waiting ends, as in, as in you're waiting in faith for your boss to notice you, or you're waiting in hope for that person to notice you, or that your children will come back to faith or family, or maybe some of you even have some waiting buys. Is then you're waiting by that bedside for that person you love to take a turn for the better. We wait on things. We wait in faith for things. We wait by things at many points in our lives, maybe even for most of our lives. We spend our lives waiting for something. But inside the waiting, inside all of our waiting on and waiting in and all of our waitings by, all those things, at the center of all of our waiting, I think is really one thing. Inside our waiting is longing. Inside our waiting is longing. Because whenever we're really waiting for something, we're really longing for something. We want something to be ours now, some person to be ours now. We want that thing to be here now. When we wait... We long. When we wait, we long. And I, I know this is true, especially, like many of you do, from, from being a parent uh, of small children. Or maybe you're here tonight and you're, you're a good auntie or uncle and you've got nieces or nephews or you're, you're an older sibling with a younger child or you're a guardian or godparent of some sort. You know, this is true, uh, especially when that child in your life wants that toy from that store from you. Store uh, wants a toy from a store from you, and some of you have probably done this. You, you've, you've lived this, being the being the good parent or, or sibling or godparent or auntie or uncle that you are. When that child asked you for that toy, you, you took him here to a place like this. Eh, maybe, maybe not there anymore, but you know it's how that goes. Or you took him here. Yeah, or you took him here. I could go on, but you took into a place like this where you were once more freshly astounded at the prices of certain toys or devices. But of course, being no fear, uh, no fear, being the good parent or a guardian that you were, what did you do in that moment? You, you did this. You whipped out your smartphone, and at that moment, you, you saw uh, that on Amazon.com, or on some other online retailer, you could actually get the same toy for about a third less, right? So what did you do then? Well, you, at that point, you began to explain to the child in very small words about the wonderful thing that God has invented called Amazon shipping. (laughs) Prime shipping, which means you pay no extra shipping costs and you get it in two days at a considerable savings and therefore you concluded to the child 
It makes perfect sense not to get that toy now. And furthermore, he concluded to the child, you will be asked to wait. Be asked to wait. Now, of course, to a prudent and rational person, this arrangement makes complete sense. It's totally reasonable, but we're not talking about prudent, rational, reasonable people. We're talking about children and toys. And once you saw this happen, you know, once you got to that point, you began to watch this eruption take place inside the child. It like built up and built up, but out of the mouth finally came the word something like this, but I really wanted it. Or something like this, uh, I've waited so long. Or maybe even, you don't love me. But no fear, you ignored the haters. And you clicked on that button and you ordered the toy. And so after the child got home, you took him home. What does the child do with that? From that point, the child goes to the mailbox every 45 minutes for the next two days until the toy arrives. Why? Because he's not just waiting. She's not just waiting. That child is longing, longing. They want something in a way they can't explain. And when that toy finally arrived, what did that child feel from you? I think most likely they felt the same thing that all of us feel. When that thing we're we're waiting for, when that thing we've been longing for, when that thing arrives, he, she, we, we feel loved. We feel loved when the thing we've been waiting for longing for arrives. Why? It's because of this. It's because waiting and longing and love are all interconnected. Waiting and longing and love are all interconnected. And that's what I want to talk to you about for a few moments tonight. And I want to submit to you that if we know this about ourselves, that how much more would God If he's really real, and he is, how much more would he know this about us and maybe, just maybe, want to speak to you and me tonight right in the middle of all of our waiting and longing for love? And as a matter of fact, there was a person named John. John was an eyewitness too. He was a follower and friend of the life of Jesus of Nazareth. And he, he saw all that as well. He saw how our waiting and our longing for the love of God are all interconnected. And he wrote about it in this book we now call First John. Not a particularly original title, but that's all right. And it was a letter he wrote to some first century Christians. And he put all that together. And he writes this about what the coming of Jesus Christ means. He put it like this in in chapter 4, verse 9. He says, In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now, Don't get stunned by that word. Don't get fooled or thrown by that big P word there, propitiation. Give me three minutes to prove it's worth something to you, all right? It's actually a technical word. It's a Bible word that just means this. It means atoning sacrifice. A better way of putting it would be substitutionary love. Propitiation just means substitutionary love. And here's why it's important. Because to those first Christians, the people John was writing to... Many of them were were Jewish in heritage and culture. And if the Jews in that day knew how to do anything, 
They knew how to wait. They had waited for centuries for something to arrive. They had longed and waited for centuries for something to arrive, which God had promised he would do. Because many years before John ever wrote this, after God delivered uh, the Jewish people, the, the Israelites, from their slavery, from their grinding poverty in the nation of Egypt. And some of you have seen the original inspired version. With the good Chuck Heston, God rest his soul, Charlton Heston, right? Uh, You've seen the Prince of Egypt, and you know that after God rescued them in that story, he brought them to himself, and he made what's called a covenant with him. It's a way of relating to and knowing God. And his people, they swore to keep it. They said, yes, we'll keep it. But they failed again and again and again. And so their nation declined over time and they went back into captivity. Again, it's what the whole story of the Old Testament's about. And while they waited to be rescued again, God promised something again. But this time the promise was different. God promised that one day he would make an altogether different kind of covenant with them. A covenant not based on what people could do, on what we could do, but a covenant based on what he would do. Uh, He called it a new covenant. And he said the new covenant he would make had the power to change a person's heart from the inside out, to make someone new, give them a heart of flesh, to change who they were altogether. He called it a new covenant. But here's the problem with it. Here's the tension of what God had promised. See, that old covenant was always about what people had to do. A law they had to keep, a rule they had to follow, an animal they had to offer. So what would a new covenant have to look like? What would it look like? Well, through the writers called the Hebrew prophets, God told us this. He said, one day, I will send someone to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. He said, I'll make a brand new way of relating to me. One not based on something you do over and over and over. But he said, I'll make a new covenant with you based on what I will do one time for all. And now, flash forward back to John. First John. John says, look, 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 look. It's happened. It's all happened. On the cross, as he died, Jesus Christ became substitutionary love for us. He did what we could never do for ourselves. He perfectly kept God's law. He perfectly loved humanity. And yet he got what humanity deserves for all of its injustices. Jesus got the curses of the old covenant so that we could get the blessings of the new covenant God promised And now, because Jesus did that, we can experience the one thing I believe we're all waiting for, the one thing we're all longing for down deep. We can experience now one word, one idea, one thing, one word at Christmas. And this word I'm about to give you is the word that makes me want to believe Christianity is true. It's the word that, uh, it's why I do believe Christianity is true. But it's the word and it's the idea that makes me wonder why at least everybody doesn't at least want Christianity to be true. And I can understand why people may not believe it's true. If this is you tonight, I can understand why you might have good, justifiable reasons for not believing based on who you are, on where you grew up, on what you were taught, on what you've experienced. Maybe you experienced something in that church or that place. You know, they had so many rules and why did you have to keep them all? And if you broke a rule, like you could never come back, but maybe this is you, you broke the rule and you couldn't come back. And maybe you were, you were taught some version of faith where you were raised to believe God's this crazy person. But listen, listen, 
listen, listen. I can understand all that based on who you are, where you grew up, what you've experienced, why you don't believe. But I have a much harder time understanding why people wouldn't at least want to believe Christianity is true because what John is getting at here is the word and the idea that all our waiting, all our longing, I really believe, if we were honest, we're really all about. And that word is the word grace. It's the word grace. Grace. Now, some of you, you may have heard of this, this little writer, uh, this little British guy named Clive. And he had this funny little name called, middle name called Staples. You know, thanks, Mom and Dad, Clive Staples, or whatever. He had a last name called Lewis. You may have heard of him by his pen name, C.S. Lewis. But Clive Staples was a smart guy, PhD professor. And like many of us here tonight, he, he didn't have at one point in his life good reasons for believing in Jesus. He had good enough reasons to not believe. But through a friend, a friend of his challenged him to watch all his waitings and to look at all his longings. And he did that. And it led him to faith in Jesus. And in one of the books he wrote, he, he summarized all that he had learned, all that he had studied. He said this, he said, if you'll put all the faith systems of the world, all the religions side by side by side by side, if you'll do that, he said, there's lots you'll see they have in common. There's lots that overlaps. There's lots that's good and nice and the same about all of them. But he says, if you'll lay them not side by side by side, but he said, if you'll lay them on top of each other, You'll overlap them. You'll see there's one word, one idea, one thing that sticks out that's utterly unique to the Christian faith. He said it's the word grace. It's grace. And grace, see, grace is utterly undeserved favor. Here's my, here's my working definition. Grace is getting what you want the most when you need it the most when you deserve it the least. It's what you want the most when you need it the most when you deserve it the least. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. You got no, no right to it. Grace is what you got or what you get when that law enforcement officer caught you going that fast in that zone and could have, would have, should have written you a ticket, but he didn't. And so you got grace. He lets you go. Or what's it? It's what you got when you turned in that paper or that assignment or that project late because you forgot or you were swamped and instead of getting that grade, you got that grade and you finished with that grade instead of that grade. Or it's what you, you got when you forgot your anniversary again and instead of getting the couch, you got not the couch, right? In each case, you got what you wanted the most when you needed it the most, when you deserved it the least. But here's why. Here's why grace is so amazing. Here's why it's so amazing. Because to really get to receive grace, you have to be given grace by a real person. A real person. Grace is not conceptual. A computer can't give it to you. A system can't give it to you. Grace is always a personal experience between two people getting what you want the most when you need it the most, when you deserve it the least. That's got to happen from someone else coming to you. And here's why I know why grace is what we really all long for. It's what you're longing for down deep. Here's why. It's because of this. Because even though we may not want to give it, we all want to get it. We all want to get it. We don't want to give it. We don't want to hand it out at Christmas time or extend it to those relatives, you know, that are coming in town or staying with us. We don't want to give it away, but man, we sure want it. We want grace. We want it even when we don't deserve it. 
And that counterintuitive truth right there is where you can see all the way to the bottom of the Christian message, which is this. Although we can't bring ourselves, we don't have it in us, to give the thing we want the most, God has and God does. And that's good news. In this, John says, is love. Not that we have loved God, not that we deserve it, not that we've done anything to earn it, but that he loved us and sent his son. And let me tell you again, grace is the reason why I not only believe Christianity is true, but grace is the reason I want it to be true. And grace is the reason why I wonder why everyone doesn't at least want it to be true. Because only Christianity says that the thing we want the most, that we're waiting for the most, that we long for the most, has become real and personal. So what are you waiting for tonight, huh? What are you, what are you longing for? Let me tell you what I think we're all longing for. I think we're waiting for this. I think we're all longing for an experience of love that changes us from the inside out. I think we're all longing for an encounter with grace. We want someone to come and offer to us what we need the most, when we want it the most, when we deserve it the least, for all the ways we have blown it and will blow it. We want there to be a God, if there is one, who, who, who's like this perfect parent who invites us to call him Heavenly Father, no matter what our earthly father was like whether we had a good one or a bad one or not one at all. We want there to be a God, if there is one, who's like this perfect lover who says he'll never leave us, he'll never forsake us, he'll never turn us over to something we don't deserve, right? We want there to be a God, if there is one, who's a perfect judge, who sees things rightly and correctly, who's got our backs at every point. And John is saying here, if you'll hear it tonight, in the person of Jesus Christ, that's what's arrived. Your deepest longing come true. That grace has arrived in the truth of the person of Jesus Christ. Final thought. Here's why this is so important. If I've lost you somewhere along the way, let me just have you back for 30 seconds, all right? Here's why this is so important for you at this Christmas time today. This is so important because what this means is this. It means that Christianity did not begin with theology. It didn't begin with a church. Christianity didn't begin with who's in or who's out. Christianity isn't about, at its very center, a group that's hurt you or a pastor that's wronged you or or a system that exploits you or a person on TV you swear is fake or a fraud. It's not about that. So don't give credence to that. Now, Christianity is about, at its very center, a person who loves you person who loves you and who has come for you. So maybe tonight, maybe tonight, you've somehow discovered in some short time a song or something said, discovered that maybe that hope you wrote off as a child, as a childish hope, really is something that you'd like to have after all. Or maybe you've discovered that somehow tonight, that though you've walked away, you'd like to come back. Let me tell you, you can. You can't come back. Or maybe you're discovering, I hope you are, once more, that the grace of God and Jesus Christ is for every person here. And it's better than what you could have ever hoped for. I pray you will encounter that grace tonight.